welcome to the Grace for This City podcast. We're helping you turn your cities upside down. Hey, I'm your host, Justin Goff. Stay tuned. We got a great show for you today. This is the Grace for the City podcast. I'm your host, Justin. Hey, we're helping you turn your cities upside down. How are we doing that? Well, we are giving you scriptural motivation and scriptural strategies so that you can get out there. These strategies are going to help you, friend. They're going to get you motivated. They're going to get you with a game plan so you can get out there and get some stuff done for King Jesus. You can go out there and turn some cities upside down. Hallelujah. And if we can help you any more than that, send us an email, hello at gracecitychurch.tv. Uh, but we'll get our team praying for you anyways. Hallelujah, because we believe in you. And uh, we're doing our part, part of our part. This is our part, is to just get the word out and get the strategy to you. And I know the Lord's going to help you. And uh, I want to encourage you to get out there on the front lines, friend. We need everybody. We need everybody. Everybody, everybody in their place. And uh, pressed in the win their race. It's, it's, it's accomplishing tremendous things for the kingdom. All right, let's get into this. And... Um, you know, my particular ministry is not set up in an apologetic sort of way, and uh, we don't debate people. And so I don't spend my time going around finding out what other people are preaching that I don't like and then just go and target and, you know, preach on why everybody's wrong. I don't, I don't do that. But there are, from time to time, strong cautions that I sense in my own spirit or even things that the Lord is cautioning me on because it is true that there is significant warning throughout the New, New Testament to be aware of false teachers, false prophets, uh, the spirit of error, to be aware of antichrist operations, anti being positionally antagonistic or op- oppositional. And so that's where the false and the counterfeit, and particularly counterfeit or substitutions, come in via that strategy. And um, there are several, several uh, admonishments in the New Testament to be aware of certain messages, um, certain types of people, um, you know, watch out for wolves, ravenous wolves, uh, watch out for false this, false that. And so occasionally we'll have to address certain things and I'm not going to address it directly per se, but I will start out in a passage of scripture here and then we'll get into our lesson because I want, I want to talk about the subject of grace, the subject of grace and probably the title that we're going to title this particular podcast episode is grace the teacher grace the teacher but let's start out in this passage here in jude and we may come back around and touch on it again i think i've got it further down in my notes but i want to start with it because here was a letter this is one of the new testament letters and it's written to the church it's written to the born again believer all of the bible is to the church but not all of the bible is about the church And so we have to divide the scriptures appropriately so you're not applying passages of scriptures to the wrong people because then you're going to have the wrong conclusion and wind up in the wrong destination. So rightly dividing the Bible is imperative. uh, uh, In particularly, people that have a biblical paradigm that um, has any kind of replacement theology, meaning the church has replaced the Jews, you're you're just going to totally mess up. And you're, you're going to mess up your uh, understanding of the scriptures. And um, that's where a lot of people are getting off today is they 
have this idea that God's done with the Jews. And so everywhere where like Israel or the Jews were mentioned, it now refers to the church. That is just simply not true. And so that's one of the perspectives that we have to hold to when we're going through the scripture is who is this being written to or who is it being spoken to? Here in Jude, we find out that it's written to the born-again believers. So it's talking to you and me. We are the church or the ecclesia, the called out ones. We're the bride of Christ. And this is written to us. All right. So look at this in, um, let me see here. Which verse was it? Uh, Let's go to, there's one chapter in the book of Jude. So let's start at verse three. He said, beloved. And uh, that's that's one reason why we know it's written to us. (laughs) Beloved, I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common Salvation. If you look that first phrase up in several translations, you'll come to know that what, what, what he was saying was, is I sat down to write to you concerning our common salvation. But in the process of beginning that letter, he says, but I found it necessary. Holy Spirit said, no, no, no. I don't want you to write to them about that. I want you to write to them about this. And instead of just writing, and it would have been phenomenal, but some sort of encouragement concerning our common salvation Instead, he wrote an exhortation. He implored uh, us to consider something and to consider it strongly. That's what we find right here, uh, starting out in Jude. And he's appealing to us, urging us to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered. I mean, every word in the Bible is important, friends. And, uh, you know, he says, I want you to contend for the faith that was once delivered. Listen, there are not addendums to the gospel that was once delivered. Revelation can be progressive in this sense that as we are maturing in him, as we get to know him more, that there is more from what he said available to us than what we were initially able to receive. Remember, we start out on the milk of the word, and then we can go to the meat of the word. And, uh, you know, Jewish historians and scholars say that there are multiple layers to the scriptures. Well, that is true, but it's not additions or addendums. There, It's not add-ons later. It's not changing later. Listen, the modern spirit of progressivism is something changing over time. The Bible doesn't do that. And um, it is a it is an eternal truth. It's just you and I are coming to more understanding of the truth that's already resident within it. And so Revelation is progressive in that sense, but not progressive in that it changes over time to fit the time, okay? And this is what he's saying. There was a gospel that was once delivered. It's not changing because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. There are no addendums to it. It's not being altered or adjusted over time. Truths are not changing with the whims of the people. Of course, that's what the people want, but this is exactly what we're saying. He's urging, he's making an appeal to stay true to the once delivered gospel. You may find out more that's in it, but nothing's changing over time. It's just you're coming to a greater understanding of what was originally said. And he said in verse four, he said, I'm urging you because certain men have crept in. One translation says they've wormed in. Another translation says they've snuck in unnoticed. And these men long ago were marked out for condemnation. They're ungodly men. And watch this phrase right here. They turn the grace of our God into lewdness 
One translation says they turn grace into a reason for sexual sin, debauchery, licentiousness, immorality, and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Or we could say it like this, that this perversion of grace, this twisting of grace, it denies the Lord Jesus. And this is why, because grace is not just a thought. Grace is not just a concept. Grace isn't a piece of paper with, you know, uh, writing on it. Grace is a person. Jesus himself is the person of grace. We found that out in the book of John. It says we beheld him and he was he was the fullness of grace and truth. In him was grace and truth. And so a perversion of grace that allows uh, for the flesh to have provisions denies Jesus. And we're going to get into this. The reason why it denies Jesus is because uh, grace isn't mercy. Grace is an empowerment. And when, when you receive Jesus, you received an empowerment to come up and above, to come out of the clutches of sin, out of that bondage. Grace didn't lower the standard. Grace raised the standard. Grace revealed the standard. Let me say it like that. Grace revealed the standard, and Jesus empowered you to soar above it. Hallelujah. And so I wanted to start there because that's the heart behind this. As I have, uh, you know, noticed some things, you know, this is nothing new. I mean, there's nothing new under the sun. This is a recycled doctrine. It's a rehashed perversion. It's always been there. It's been there in the Bible days. I mean, right here, Jude is writing to the church and says, watch out for this type of activity. People will sneak in. People will get ministries. People will get famous on social media. Uh, they may even be a part of your organization. And, but they've snuck in and they have a, they have a perverted gospel. In particularly, they've perverted the message of grace. They've perverted uh, the grace of our Lord Jesus. They've perverted that, and that perversion is making an allowance for the flesh, which is inviting in sexual deviancy. It says here sexual sin, any kind of debauchery, licentiousness, immorality. Another translation adds a thought of lawlessness, meaning it's, 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 it's resisting restraint. It doesn't like anything that says you're restrained or like there's rules to this. A perversion of grace uh, says that you can do whatever you want and everything's fine. Listen, friends, that's a dangerous message. And it's gaining momentum in our time. There are proponents of it uh, that are... Um, propagating this. There are ministers of what they call the gospel of grace. And a lot of it's good. There's a lot of good emphasis. Not all of it's bad. Don't misunderstand me. It's not all bad, but listen, friends, it's not all good. It is not all good. And, um, we need to be aware that we don't allow this perversion to begin to twist our understanding or that contending that we've been in for the faith that was once delivered to us. Now, I uh, I may repeat myself here, but while I'm thinking about it now, because that particular translation right here in Jude, chapter one, there's only one chapter in, in the book of Jude, but in verse four, it says that they have turned or perverted. Uh, one. Let me see if it's the new King James. No, it says turn. One translation actually says perverted the grace of, of our God into lewdness or licentiousness. Um, 
people who are engaged in sin, even ministers, okay, even ministers that are engaged in sin, they'll be really heavy on this grace thing. And what they think is that grace is like a pass or maybe grace um, is like a mercy and it's okay that I'm sinning here because grace, right? I'm not under law. And some people have taken this to an extreme. It'd be hyper grace, definitely hyper grace. Uh, but hyper grace folks have taken this to an extreme to where they do not even consider consequences for their actions now. This is the perversion of it. They say that under grace, there is no condemnation or under grace, there is no uh, consequences because Jesus has bore everything. Jesus has forgiven everything, past, present, and future. I don't need to seek repentance. I don't need to seek forgiveness because I've already been, I've already repented and I've already been forgiven. And that one time covers everything in the future. And I dealt with the situation with a minister that we confronted him on some things in his life and the pushback that not only he pushed back with, but many of the people in his ministry, many of the people on his leadership team was grace. They said, I wasn't extending grace. They, they said that, you know, I was throwing stones when Jesus didn't condemn. And uh, we're going to get into that because that is a perversion of grace. They're using grace right here, just like he's saying. He said, I, I, I'm imploring you to watch out for these folks that are sneaking in, starting ministries. They're on TikTok. They're famous on Facebook. They've got CDs. They travel. They, they do ministry. But he said they've crept in. They may even be among you now, and they're twisting the message of grace into a license to sin. And uh, now, whether or not they ultimately know what they're doing or they're just that deceived, either way, people are hearing. Now, they're illiterate in the scriptures, their own fault, but I'm saying people are hearing. What they're hearing is that there are no consequences for whatever I do in the flesh. And I'm telling you, friends, that's just flat out wrong. So we're going to dig in that today. And let's start up here with looking at a couple passages. Let's go to Romans chapter 6, verse 14. And here it says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. It says, sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Now, something stood out to me when I was looking at this passage, and a couple of things. Number one, the word under. It says, not under law. Now, if you're born again, you are no longer under the law. I totally believe that. Uh, but if you are born again, you may not be under the law, but you're still under something. And right here, the Bible says you're not under law, but you are under grace. Very important here. Just, just because you're not under the law doesn't mean you're out from under everything or anything. No, the law, and we're going to look at this. The law was a tutor and it says that it brought you to Christ. But when you received Christ, you're now no longer under that teacher or that tutor. You are now under another teacher and another tutor. By the way, this new teacher is grace himself, Jesus. And we'll look at that. That's in Ephesians chapter four. Now let's go to Galatians chapter three, verse 23. All right. So Romans says, sin doesn't have dominion over you. 
because you're under grace. Galatians 3.23 says, but before faith came, we were kept, come on, under guard by the law, kept for the faith, which would afterward be revealed. Verse 24, therefore, the law was our tutor to do what? Watch this. The law was our tutor to bring us to Christ. Hallelujah. This is Romans, or excuse me, this is Galatians. He's writing to the church, to the born-again believers in Galatia, and he's telling them, hey, the law brought you to Christ. Listen, the law still brings people to Christ today. Now, once you are brought to the point of death, that's exactly what the law does. It 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 vividly and it it is feverishly bringing you to a place of death. The law condemns. But listen, this is this, this is the mystery that was wrapped up in the law. You had to die. This was the plan. You had to die so there could be a resurrection unto new life. The law is flawless in that operation. And it brought you to a place of your desperate uh, uh, recognition that you are a sinner and you are condemned under that sin and you are hell bound. And unless you cry out to Jesus and unless you liken yourself into his death, his burial and his res- resurrection. Listen, th- that's, that's, that's the gospel. Jesus is, is the substitution. Like you don't have to die now because he did. And I'm telling you, the law brings you right up to that place right there where you realize that you are sold out to sin. You are a sinner by nature. And the only, the only path for you is death. Here's again, let me repeat myself. Here's the amazing mystery in that, that instead of dying and going to hell, if you accept Jesus Christ, you are likened unto his death, sin being taken care of, and then guess what? Raised into new life. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Now, the, the law couldn't get you born again, but the law brought you right up to the point of death. Oh, I'm telling you, if you see it for what it is, it's fascinating. And the law still brings people up until that point today. Romans chapter 7 says so. If you study Romans, you'll find out what Paul says there. In fact, let's, let's, let's just turn there. Uh, and then we'll get right back into Galatians. So Galatians says that before faith came, we were kept under guard. Precious people. Oh, precious people. Praise God that he had a plan to keep the heirs. Come on, the heirs of the promise. Praise God he had a plan to, to keep them and to protect them until faith could come. That's what Galatians says. Now let's find out what Paul says later. Here he is, born again now. And he says this, look at uh, Romans 7, verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law said, you shall not covet. Verse 8, but sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Verse 9, I was once alive without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. Listen, the law is doing exactly what it was designed to do. I'm, I'm thinking the devil really thought, you know, uh, how stupid of a plan this is. And man, totally people have missed it. 
uh, people have totally missed uh, what the law was doing in their life. But I'm telling you, the mystery was the resurrection as a result of confessing your sins and then um, that condemnation bringing a death, by the way, which Jesus bore for you, okay? This is the mystery in the law. And it brought you straight up to where there had to be a death. But in that death, oh, was a resurrection. Verse 10, Romans 7, 10, and the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. That's what it was supposed to do. Because Jesus now, come on, Jesus was going to be the life. He said, for sin taken occasion by the commandment to send me, uh, deceive me, and by it killed me. Therefore, the law is holy and the commandment holy, just, and good. The law did exactly what it was supposed to do, and it's still doing what it's supposed to do today. It's bringing people to a desperate place of revelation that they are a sinner headed to hell. That's that's what the law's doing. All right, now let's go back to Galatians 23. But before faith came, Come on, before faith came, we, we, he says, we, we. This is a New Testament writer. He said, we were kept under guard by the law. You got to understand what God did with those, those people there. Praise God, he did it too. They were kept under guard by the law for faith, kept by the law until faith could come, kept by the law until faith could come, kept by the law. Now, if you reject Jesus, then you're keeping, you know what, you squandered what God has set up to bring you to that place of resurrection, uh, a new life, being born again. And because you can't get back in your mom's belly and be born naturally, he did it another way. He said, I'm going to cause your spirit man to be born again. I'm going to cause your spirit man to be born again. But there has to be a death in order for that resurrection to take, to take place. First born from the dead was Jesus. You and I, second, third, fourth, et cetera. Before faith came, kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith, which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, verse 24, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Verse 25, but after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. Now, let me say it like this, because in the context, he says, we are no longer under the tutor of the law. Once faith has come, we no longer need the teacher or the guardian of the law. Verse 26 says, for you are all sons of God through faith now. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And there is neither Jew nor Greek now in Christ. There is neither slave nor free now in Christ. There is neither male nor female now in Christ. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. When you were born again, your new spirit is now one with him. Verse 29, and if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heir according to the promise. Now, if you go back to Hebrews chapter seven, you'll find out that when Abraham, the father of those who are righteous through faith, you'll find out that um, he met Melchizedek. Now, I believe Melchizedek was Shem, but that's neither here nor there. I'm not dogmatic about it, but I believe literally as, as the human being, it was Shem and but even if you believe it was a pre-incarnation of Christ or a Christophany, well, that's even that, that that's even more powerful then to what I'm talking about here. But here was the person of grace himself, 600 years before the law came, 
and who met Abraham, Grace himself met Abraham, introduced himself as the household of faith's personal high priest, offered him the covenant elements. And in the loins, Hebrews 7 says, in the loins of Abraham were the Levites, or we could say the children of promise. And notice that even though they were disconnected from their father because faith hadn't come, so they were kept under guard. Listen, these were children of promise kept under guard. You've got to understand Adam and Eve, when they sinned, everybody now was born into a spiritual death. So God had the plan to bring, bring, come on, uh, a, a, to raise up a family that would be born again, that would be in right relationship with the heavenly father now. And so even while the Levites, that whole, uh, priestly order under Moses, that, that household of the law, that was in the loins of Abraham because all of those people were the children of the promise. And so they were kept. There were guardians and uh, stewards over them. Galatians four says kept under the law, tutored by the law until they could come into faith. Hallelujah. All of them were in the loins of Abraham. Oh, we thank you. That, that, that priesthood, you know, you understand that priesthood was in the loins of Abraham, even though Melchizedek met Abraham. Because look, that household, that household was going to be raised up to come to faith. This is where you, you and I are. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Father, for it. All right, look at Hebrews 3, 6. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are. Again, whose house are we? The Bible says we're the household of faith. Christ as a son over his whole, uh, over his own house, whose house we are. If we hold fast the confidence uh, and the rejoicing of hope firm to the end. If you go back up a verse in Hebrews 3, 5, it talks about Moses who was faithful over his house. Moses being a type of savior, uh, the law being a type and a shadow of getting people to a point of deliverance and salvation. But here we can see that Moses being a type of savior was one that could bring people unto the threshold of the promises. Could Moses go in to the promised land? No. The law cannot take you in to the promises, but the law can keep you until faith comes. We could say it like this, that the law can bring you right up to the threshold, but it can't take you in. You've got to die and be resurrected to go in there. And then we see, so Moses was faithful over his household, but who did lead the children? This is a, these, these are types now. These are types and shadows. But who did lead the children of Israel into the promises? What was his name? His name was Joshua. Well, what is that in Hebrew? Yeshua. What is the uh, Greekized version? Jesus. So we see that Moses, who was faithful over the law period, his ministry had to deal with the law. And that law had a very particular intended purpose. Still doing it today, by the way, had a very uh, very particular purpose, and it was to bring people up into the threshold, their desperate need for a deliverer, for a savior, a desperate realization that they are a sinner, lost and destitute. And if it, if it wasn't for the sacrifice, they would be completely lost forever, brought them right up to the threshold, but it was only Joshua or Yeshua, Yeshua, Jesus, who was able to take them on in to the, to the promises in total 
restoration, and right relationship. So those are all types and shadows. And we see now Jesus, who introduced himself before all this as Melchizedek, is the high priest over the household of faith. Again, only Jesus or Joshua would be able to lead one into the fulfillment of the promises of true and lasting freedom from oppression, domination, and slavery. Moses was a tutor to a people who were unable due to sin to have personal fellowship with their father. Hallelujah. Galatians 4.1. Let me read this to you. I referenced it. Let me read it to you from the expanded Bible. It says, while those who will inherit their father's property are still children, they are no different from slaves. It does not matter that the children own everything or are masters or lords over the whole, whole estate. Remember, these were children of the promise. They were heirs. Okay. Only fulfilled though through Jesus. Verse two, it says they must obey those chosen to care for them. Now he's, there's, there's several revelations from, from, from this passage, but for our purposes, we're connected this with Galatians three. And it says they were kept by the law until faith could, could come. This is expanding on that. Some it's saying they must, or they were uh, made basically to obey those chosen to care for them, their guardians. This translation says their trustees. This translation says stewards. And this one adds this thought here, administrators, until the time set by their father. Administrator is a very unique word because that's where we get the word priest. It's where we get the word minister. So the children were placed under stewards or ministers of the law, kept, guarded, guarded by the law. See, because their hearts weren't changed yet. So the law was an external restraint and it, and it was forceful. It was, uh, it didn't play any games. The law was very strict. It was very firm, but it's because their hearts could not grasp. They could not understand. They had no righteousness from within. They weren't righteous from within. They were only righteous by the very strict adherence to the external restraint. But I'm telling you, the external restraint kept many of them from sudden death. I mean, you can see different times in the Old Testament where not only did they not have righteousness from within because they weren't born again, they had no righteousness without. And there was instant judgment in many, in many cases. But yet the law was keeping them until there could be a change of heart or a brand new heart. The law was keeping them until they could be born again. Hallelujah for that. Uh, oh, man. And don't you know that the law is still doing that today? I mean, while the law is yet forceful, while the law is even yet violent, maybe, for many, it is keeping them. Thou shalt not kill is keeping many people on the earth until we can get the gospel of Jesus to them in order to be born again. You understand how the law is still bringing people unto the threshold where the ministry or the gospel of Jesus, the good news of deliverance, of new life in him. Can you see where the law has kept people alive on the face of the earth until they can be confronted that Jesus can change you from, from the inside? A lot of people aren't seeing that. And there's a lot of negative talk right now. And it, I'm telling you, it's a perversion, friends. Uh, not only the, 
not only are they totally denying that the law is still useful, uh, not not for a born-again believer, because now the law is written on your heart. In that sense, you don't need this external because you've got it on the inside now. Jesus said, you heard it said, thou shalt not kill. Jesus said, wait, wait, wait. But I'm telling you, when I came in inside, I said, don't hate. You understand what I'm saying? You you don't need an, I mean, murder is the furthest thing from your mind now. Now he's dealing with root, root issues that lead to a murder. And he says, on the inside, I've empowered you not to even hate. Right? Jesus said, you heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. That was an external restraint, trying to restrain the lusts of the flesh. Jesus said, I'm going to deal with the root of that. And and when I came on the inside of you, now from the inner man, you don't even want to look at a person with lust. All right, let's go on here. Let's keep reading Galatians 4, verse 3 in the New King James. It says, even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. This is born again. And because you are sons, God sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, the spirits crying out, Abba, Father. Now, Romans says this as as well, that one of the first revelations Holy Spirit brought to us was that creator God is our father. You can see how now we were kept. He called us children, kept under the law until right relationship could be restored. And now we can come boldly to what? The throne of grace. Grace didn't lower the standard. Grace empowered you to come up to your place. Grace empowered you to stand in the presence of almighty God with no sin. He restored right relationship and the law worked to get you to the threshold here where the substitution of Jesus could cause you to be born again. He said, therefore, you are no longer slaves, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Jesus. So now we are no longer slaves. We've been delivered out from under bondage, slavery, out from under sin. The law was and is good. In that, it brought a death and death in order for there to be a resurrection. Now, as sons, we are in the household of faith and under, come on. Remember, we started out in Romans. We're not under law, but we're still we, we're still under something. He said we're under grace. We're still under, or we've been introduced now to a new administration. By the, by the way, that's the administration of Melchizedek. Remember, he met Abraham. He met Abraham, who had the promise. He met Abraham with covenant elements. He said, I'm the high priest. That has been assigned. I've been I've been covenanted to you to the household of faith. Now we're being introduced, just like Abraham stood before Melchizedek. You and I now have the privilege of standing before our Melchizedek because we've been introduced. Now we're in the household of faith. Now we've come to Christ. Now we've come to faith. Now, now we're not introduced to the Levites. We're not introduced to to Moses's ministry. We're now in, in, introduced to the ministry of Jesus, Grace Himself has become our new tutor. Grace is now the administration we're under. Tutoring in this house is under the father of the house himself, under a ministry of life, Zoe, and under a ministry of reconciliation. Again, our tutoring, remember we were being tutored by the law. Now we're being tutored by grace. 
our tutoring is now in the laws of life. Remember, we found this out in Romans, that the law, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, or the laws that govern spirits that are alive with Zoe in them, where our tutoring is now the laws of life and no longer the laws of sin and death. The law made you very aware of the law of sin and death, but that was its job. And it fulfilled it immaculately. Praise God that we were kept by the law, lest something worse could have did to many happen to us. John 1.17 says this, for the law was given through Moses, but what came through Jesus? It says grace and truth came through Jesus. Oh, praise God that we get our tutoring now under Jesus himself. It is absolutely phenomenal, friends. All right, so now that we're in the kingdom, uh, in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter four, it says that we haven't so learned Christ. In fact, let me turn there. Let's go to Ephesians really quick. Let's look at this. Go to Ephesians chapter four. You don't, you, you don't want to miss this. And I know we're kind of getting a 30,000 foot view here, but, but people are so messed up over this. We at least need to bring some sort of sanity to it, some sort of correct division to this because when you say, well, I'm, I'm, not un, un, I'm not under law, I'm under grace. Well, you think grace is a free pass uh, to make a provision for the flesh. It is not, friends. Grace is actually tutoring you in how not to lust. Grace is tutoring you in how not to hate. Grace is tutoring you in what it means to honor and to protect the sanctity of oneness. Jesus heard it said, well, you heard it said, thou shalt not murder. But he said, but I tell you, and that's in Matthew 5, and he was cautioning those people don't listen to these ones who have relaxed the law. Listen, you, you, you need a full death experience. <laughs> you know what I mean? That law was going to bring you to a place of desperation. And some people have not even come there yet because the perversion of grace says, well, you don't really need to die because grace is just going to cover all, all, all this stuff for you. No, 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 no. No, grace takes over um, because of resurrection. And if you're still uh, a dead man, if you're still a sinner and practicing all, the, all, all, all these things, but thinking you're getting a free pass because grace has been misinterpreted as mercy, that's messing people over, friends. That is what's messing people up. Look at Ephesians 4 here. He says this in verse 20, but you have not so learned Christ. He's talking about, the difference or the contrast between those who have learned Christ and those who haven't learned Christ. And there's actually a visible uh, demonstration of those who have learned Christ. And there's a visible demonstration of those that still haven't learned, learned Christ yet. And he says, if you have learned him or heard him and have been taught by him, him who? Well, him, the word, him, Jesus, him, grace. If you've been, been taught by him because the truth is in him, you will put off your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Grace is teaching you this. In fact, grace has given you a very uh, uh, firm lesson right up front that to walk in new life, you cannot continue to wear the dirty clothes of your old man. 
you're you you're learning Christ now, and so you're going to put on a whole new set of clothes. You can study that out in the Amplified. It's really good there. So, what is this new curriculum that we're being taught under grace? Now, we're not under the law because we're born again, but the law is still working for many people. It's just you've been born again now, and now you are under grace, and now you have a new teacher, you have a new instructor, and there is a new administration that has been assigned to the household of faith. So what is this new curriculum teaching us? Well, the modern grace message, the one that we're being cautioned about, has brought massive confusion to many in the body of Christ and deceived even more. And they say that we are no longer under an instructor or laws or a system of do's and don'ts. When they say that they fundamentally miss the point of the law and the meaning of and the definition of grace himself. Again, Jesus is grace himself. He fulfilled the law himself. He didn't do away with the law. He fulfilled the law Guess what? We are in him and through him, through his empowerment, you and I also fulfill the law. And he really made it easy. He said, love is like a super empowerment. And if you walk in love, you will fulfill the whole thing. He said, I give you this commandment. This was part of his tutoring here. He says, let me give you a pro tip. Let me give you a mature demonstration of fulfilling law. Walk in love. Love is not, um, uh, love, let me say it like this, while it's a basic and foundational principle, he said it all hangs on it. And if you'll recognize it, like if you, by the time you get into 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he says the more excellent way, not, not, not only is love fulfilling the law, but love also is the access point to the demonstration of the Holy Spirit. We go into chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, and here, here, here we have just all kinds of different things going on. Chapter 12 is connected by chapter 13, goes into chapter 14. He said love is the more excellent way into a demonstration of the things of the Spirit. So through him, we also fulfill the law. Grace is an empowerment, not a reduction or a lowering of standards. What we couldn't do in the flesh, Christ empowered us from within. What we couldn't do from without because the flesh is weak, he empowered us from within by giving us a new spirit that is born of the word, 1 Peter says, born of the spirit we're told in other places, born from above in John. And then we find out that in uh, John chapter 5 that the father granted that the son would have life even as the father has life. Jesus said, I've come that you would have this life. That is what raised that dead spirit to new life is the life of God. The Zoe life of God is on the inside of you. His very DNA. This is how you were brought back in the right relationship with him because you were born of the spirit, his spirit, and born of the word, his word. So from within, this is how Christ did it. From within, You are empowered now to be completely set apart from the laws of sin and death, completely raised up, seated high above sin and its dominion. So from from within, you don't even want to sin. See, this is how you fulfill the law, from within, not from without. We're not going back under external restraints because from within, we're being empowered 
to overpower it. And uh, there's there's some more things that we need to talk about with that. We'll get into that uh, shortly. Let's see here. We may need to bring this to a close, actually, and do a part two. Um, again, a fundamental error in the modern grace message is its misclassification or the wrongly applied definition as mercy. Grace is not mercy. In fact, Paul said, I am what I am by the grace. And he said that grace was not fruitless. The grace, that empowerment of Christ within, the Holy Spirit within, the reality of the new birth in Christ Jesus, that you have a brand new spirit. You are a new creation in Christ. You are a new creature that has never existed before. You've been born again. Now, from from the outside, you look the same. And the Bible says your mind has to be renewed. So you have the same mind you had. That has to be renewed. Your soul has to be brought into a salvation, James says. And your physical body is the same physical body you had before you were saved. And it's and it still has lusts, the lusts of the flesh. Paul said you got to discipline that. you got to subdue that. you got to put that under. But when your spirit leads and you renew your mind to agree with the things of, 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 of the spirit, dominating the flesh becomes easy. And that's how you live as an overcomer. Hallelujah. I think the Lord did that so that we could uh, understand what overcoming the laws of sin and death, what it, what it feels like uh, to have that victory, that joy of being empowered, I mean, to have that stark contrast of you were a total slave, you couldn't get out if you wanted to, but then suddenly through new birth, now you are dominating over these things. I think he allowed us to have that, that experience in order to celebrate the overwhelming, triumphing power that is within. Hallelujah. So again, grace is not mercy. Grace is an empowerment. Grace doesn't overlook sin. Grace empowers you to overcome sin. Grace isn't just a saving from. It is also an instructor in how to live according to the life we have now in Christ Jesus. Let's look at one final verse and then we'll close. We'll, we'll pick up here in another uh, podcast on this thought here. Let's go to uh, Titus chapter 2. And I'm going to leave you with this thought. Titus chap- chapter 2 verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. So grace did save us from, but it didn't just save us from. Notice in verse 12, for this grace, he's talking about the grace. This grace appeared. It saved us, but then it, it once it saved us, now it's doing this. It is teaching us. One translation says trains, instructs. Another translation says disciples or disciplines us into what denying godly and worldly lust grace is doing that listen when i was um, in this situation where there were some um things going on in this minister's life that just weren't 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 right there was grace coming into that situation they 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 were saying that i was not ministering grace or walking in grace to him grace did not lower the standard grace raised the standard and then would bring the appropriate and necessary empowerment to come out of that situation. Grace wasn't necessary trying to condemn. Grace was saying, look, I can free you from this. Grace is teaching us how to live godly. 
It doesn't lower the standard so you can stay wallowing in the filth you were delivered from. It empowers you to come up above it. Notice it, it says that this grace teaches us to deny ungodliness. It teaches us to deny worldly lust. It teaches us how to live soberly. Watch this. Grace teaches us how to live righteously and godly. And I like this last little thought here in the present age, meaning right now, right now, grace, grace doesn't say, Hey, don't worry about sinning. Um, don't, 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 don't worry about sleeping around. Don't, don't worry about sexual things. Don't, don't worry about getting drunk. Don't worry about doing drugs. Grace doesn't turn a deaf eye or excuse me, a blind, uh, a blind eye and a deaf ear. Grace doesn't, grace is not a pass to go sin. Grace empowers you to make a stark distinction and to come out and to not go back in. Hallelujah for that. All right, well, we're, we're going to leave it right there because uh, there's some other things, but I want to be able to do it in a part, part two. So thank you for joining me today. This is Grace for This City podcast. We've been talking about Grace the Teacher. You were under the tutor of the law, but if you're born again, now you've got a new tutor and he's teaching you in the ways of the kingdom. He's tutoring us in the ways of life, how to live in this new life. There are protocols associated with this new life. It's called the laws of the spirit of life. And now we're being trained in those laws. Hallelujah. So let's let's embrace our instructor. Let's embrace our new curriculum. I'm telling you, the man himself, grace himself is our teacher. Oh, it's phenomenal, friends. He's covenanted, covenanted himself with us. So, all right, hey, if we can help you in any way, it would be our honor. If you need prayer, you can reach out to us at 870-741-9099. That's how you can call us. You can leave a voicemail, somebody can get right back with you. Or if you need prayer and you want to send it in an email, you can send your prayer requests or questions to hello at gracecitychurch.tv. That's hello at gracecitychurch.tv. I want to say thank you to all of our partners out there that have financially contributed in some way to the podcast. It's because of you that actually the podcast is paid up in advance. Hallelujah. There's some costs associated with being out there on all of these platforms and the materials and whatnot. So anything that comes in to the podcast goes into the podcast and just keeps it going. So I say thank you. If you want to participate in some way like that, uh, any gift is tax deductible. Uh, several ways that you can connect with us um, and give that financial seed. Uh, you can go to the website, gracecitychurch.tv forward slash give. Or if you are in the United States, you have a cell phone, you can text to give 84321. That's 84321. Follow the prompts. Or you can mail a check. Mail it to P.O. Box 7, Harrison, Arkansas, 72602. All right, friends, this has been the Grace for This City podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. And until next time, be blessed.